Hi there, Menorah Missionary Baptist Church family. It's good to be with you today for our midweek discussion of the sermon this past week. Uh, this week we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. Uh, just got off of a section on unity, uh, but that, that unity comes first because it really flows through the rest of this whole book. Uh, as we're going to be told, this is how you live now as Christians. What we see is that our unity is essential in that because how we're going to live is going to be different than the world, and it's going to make things difficult at times. Sinclair Ferguson has a really good breakdown, I think, of the rest of chapter 4 that I shared on Sunday. I want to share it again because I did. I thought it was helpful for me anyways in putting my head around this section. In verses 17 through 19, he kind of labeled that what we once were. Uh, verses 20 to 24, what we now are. And then what we're going to look at next week together, verses 25 to 32, what we are to become. Because in this week, if, if you were here, you'll notice we didn't talk a lot about how we now live. It was just more how we once were, but now how we have been saved in Christ. And so we're supposed to put the new self on. But we didn't get to talk a lot about what does the new self really mean or look like. And, and Paul will get into that in the next verses here. And so that'll be that'll be next week. But we want to focus on this passage that we that we did this week. Uh, get some insight from Pastor Spencer and Pastor Scott as well. Maybe dive in into some other areas. So Paul, right right away in verse seventeen and nineteen, he starts to talk about again uh, how the Gentiles live. And I I talked about this a little bit in the sermon, but like to get your guys' thoughts. Maybe you have another insight as well into this about. The reason why Paul would continually, it seems like, talk about who you once were or who they are, like over and over. It seems like he's getting to these parts where it's like, oh, I'm about to get excited about all this stuff that's happening. And he's like, oh, by the way, remember how dirty you are. And I'm, why, why, why does he, why do you guys think he, he keeps doing that? Or what is the importance uh, in him doing that? Well, I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's interesting, right, that he does, he does do that oftentimes, even about himself. Um, he will talk about himself as the chief of sinners. Um, he will uh, remind uh, other Christians about himself. So he's not simply reminding other people of their sins. He's acknowledging that this is part of his background, um, his experience. And um, I think you did a great job of pointing out that we do this. One of the reasons why this happens is because God wants to, um, it, it promotes humility. It promotes um uh, because if if we start to think that we did something to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps or that we've really um, elevated ourselves to some second level of Christianity or whatever um, that can that can really give us a big head and we can we uh, we're not acting um, we'll realize we're not going to be able to act the way that our Lord Jesus did because the Lord Jesus um, looked to the interest of other people and humbled himself even though he is sinless. And so um, I think Paul does this over and over and over because this is kind of just the nature of, of Christianity. Um, even in heaven, and in, even in heaven, whenever we become, uh, whenever we experience sinlessness, notice what we, we praise God and Jesus, it says he's the lamb. So God, Jesus is still to us, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, even though we're sinless now. We still recognize him and his cross work and his sacrifice and his love that does change us. So even for all eternity, um, we may not experience sin anymore, 
but we're still going to remember his great grace and love, and that will promote further praise and change in us um, throughout all eternity, I think. Mm-hmm. So we never move beyond that, um, that that wonderful truth that we were sinners. Um, right now we're being uh, sanctified, we have been justified, we're being sanctified, and even in the new heavens and the new earth, um, that reality um, is never going to entirely, the, the reality of, of acknowledging who we once were, is never entirely going to cease. And so um, that's that's the wonderful message of the gospel and of God's great salvation to us in Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. Mm. Um, and so I think that that's, that's one of the things that Paul Paul's assumptions, in a sense, maybe the fact that Paul does this over and over and over again should highlight to us, if we're uncomfortable with that, we should ask ourselves, why is that? Why does Paul seem to be comfortable doing this? Mm-hmm. And we're not comfortable. Um, and just how does that then show that we have different understandings that we maybe need to be brought into line with the word of God um, uh, to be closer conformed to what scripture calls us to understand what this whole thing is all about um, uh, as Christianity. And so Paul here, though, is reminding them uh, of, of who they were, but also saying, drawing a contrast, saying, don't be that way anymore. Put mm-hmm. off the old man, put on the new man in Jesus Christ, repentance. Um, um, the old writers would call this mortification, putting to death, and vivification, being made to life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what repentance is, putting off, putting on, killing, raising to life. So um, he's using this now to promote repentance, mm-hmm. to promote a change of, of practical change of mind, heart, and life um, overall. So it's not like this is supposed to be producing just despair and I'm never going to change. Paul actually is reminding them of who they were and of who the world is in order to promote change in their hearts and lives and to grow in Jesus Christ. I don't know. I'm just kind of speaking really vaguely, I guess. But yeah. I thought another point that you brought out that was really helpful was not only does it promote humility among Christians, but it also promotes, um, I forgot exactly how you put it, but like it affects our evangelism. And because it, it helps us rightly understand the world and lost people. And you used, you went through Romans 1, a big chunk of Romans 1. And I think that it, if you even keep going into Romans 2, the same thing happens there about promoting an accurate view of the world because Paul's basically just got done in Romans 1 talking about all these people and the sinners and that. But then right there in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And so it's like if a person reading Romans 1 is focusing, oh, yeah, the world is sinful, the world is evil, they're immediately reminded, Mm. well, that was you, or you even still practice those things. So just keeping the helpful perspective of the world is evil, the world is sinful, yes, but I was once part of the world. Mm. And I understand where they're at. I'm not totally separate from that. I, I'm not foreign to that. And so I just thought that was a really helpful point that you made about that as well. And and in that sense, what you're saying, Scott, Paul is playing, um, kind of reprising the role of the prophet Nathan uh, to David, remember? Because Nathan 
goes to David and gives him a parable, mm-hmm. and David can flat out see, yeah, that guy, he's a bad guy, and Nathan says, you're the man, and that's what Paul's doing, because mm-hmm. we're sitting here reading all of Romans 1, we're saying, yeah, those people are really bad, mm-hmm. those people are really bad, and Paul says, uh, you're the guy who's doing this, Yeah, this is you, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. reminder. It kind of makes me think about, this is the analogy I, I thought of as you guys were talking, but you see athletes today who say, I will never forget where I came from. You know, they, oh, I've got a lot of money now, but I want to go back to where I came from and help. And, you know, they, they like help a school out or they're giving money to a rec center or something like that or building basketball courts, whatever. And they, they say these different things. And uh, there's some good in that. But I think, I think a lot of people look at that with skepticism. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, I know you're saying you remember this, but you're rich. You're filthy rich. You don't live in that neighborhood anymore. And now you go off and do this. And I think, Sometimes the way we treat evangelism can be kind of kind of similar to where it just becomes this pretty thing that we want to do to put on our resume so that it so that it looks good like yeah and I'm supposed to do this so I'm going to reach out but we we don't really get in there and do what we are supposed to do as individual Christians of loving our neighbors and caring for those who are hurting and these different things that we are called to do because that's a difficult. It's a difficult lifestyle, you know. It wouldn't make sense for us, for the very rich athlete, to go buy an apartment in some government-run complex where they used to grow up and live. Be like, no, you need to, you need to get out of there. And sometimes for us as Christians, like, well, we're saved by God's grace. Why would I go back to those struggles and help that? Right, I'm. I'm he's got me out of these things. I'm not going back. But we're still called to be in this world, and we're called to be light to to a dark world. And, and so just remembering what God has done for us, who we are apart from Christ, who we were apart from Christ, what he's done for us now, it should give us this attitude when we see the world sinning, when we see what we read in Romans 1 and what we see here in, in this passage in Ephesians of the sin and like the slippery slope that it leads to, I think a lot of times now it brings out rage in us when it really needs to bring out brokenness and, and contrite and humbleness mm-hmm. of and mercy. That's what I mean. And in caring, like it's heartbreaking to see these things that we rage against and that we fight against. And I hope that we push back against it for the right reasons. Like we know that this is wrong, but sometimes it just seems to me that often it comes out. No, I just, I'm righteously angry, and I yeah. can be angry at you, and I'm going to be. It's the image of the people wanting to stone this woman caught in adultery, mm-hmm. and Jesus' words to the crowd are, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Yeah, which is crazy because, I mean, by the law, I think if you like read Leviticus, if, if someone is found committing adultery, it was pick up stones and get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Like, But, yeah, Jesus kind of uh, shows us something there doesn't he and i think it would do us well as churches all together as christians to uh, to act that way a little better to show more mercy than we do now don't get me wrong we need to stand up for things and and we have the privilege in this country even when it comes to laws and different things to take a stand and to lobby and to campaign or do all that stuff and that's and that's fine uh but we don't need to become so of the world that people are like ah they're just one of these other people out there no we're we are different, yeah. um, and we're called to something different. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't want to take it farther, than, and we have more to get to. But you know, it's. I just think it was so helpful because it, it honestly was convicting. Because often I find myself in a position where, I want those who are doing something wrong to be held accountable for what they've done wrong. 
or what they are doing wrong. But when I, you know, hear what you had said in your sermon, it's the reminder to me, if I had gotten what I deserved when I had done something wrong, I would be under the judgment of God still. And oftentimes, what the right thing to do in that situation is to treat someone the way God has treated me, which is to show them mercy and to show them that there is repentance, not necessarily to pray for justice in that instance, I guess. There's a balance to be found, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, but... uh, I just think, like, justice on our behalf. Like, a lot of times, I want justice for me, not necessarily even society-wise. It's it's me. I need to be justified here. You wronged me, and so something needs to be paid back. And I just don't know how scriptural that is for us as Christians. And Instead, more often, what we see is, no, you're going to experience that stuff. You're going to deal with that. If they take your coat, give them this as well, right? Mm -hmm. We see these types of things where that's going to happen. Now... We see in Scripture where the government has the right to to judge and to do. We do see that, which sometimes it gets probably taken too much. Uh, so, and we can stand against that. But I'm yes, as individual Christians, like this is my right. This is me. I need to be justified here from you. We just have to be careful, more careful with that. And I think that's what you were saying, yeah. Scott. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you as you walk through. This section of Ephesians 4, which the reason I read the Romans 1 is because I just felt like that, and a lot of the commentators did that, it just kind of is uh, more detailed than this Ephesians, but they parallel so well together. Uh, Paul just does it kind kind of quickly here, how he says they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so there's just this this stair-step progression. There's another progression like that in Psalm 1 uh, that you see, you know, that like uh, standing in the way of sitting in the seat of the scornful, all that, all that stuff. Uh, that as, as believers, we have to be careful of just watching our, ourselves, that we're not doing that. Now, we definitely can read this and is how I think Paul is writing it, of saying, look, this is how they are out there. And so I think we have the right to read this passage and look outside the walls and say, what's happening in our world? And I think we would agree, and most people would agree, we see this play out. right? Well, I mean, we, we can see this in our society where stuff that was illegal, what, 20, 30 years ago, today is normal, advertised. Ten years ago. Ten years, yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And now promoted. Yeah, encouraged. And it's it's seen as, because we're more educated, we're much smarter now. And that has crept into the church realm to where now, even within the church, things that, again, 10, 20, 30 years ago that nobody would have argued is this sin. Everyone would have said, this is sin. It's obvious. Mm -hmm. This is a, a weird discussion we're even having talking about this. Now within the church, people are saying, ah, "Is it? Is this really sinful? You know, or what? Let Let's relook and again. There's this idea that they're gaining in knowledge, and and like with homosexuality, one of the big things uh, is Paul didn't understand back then what we understand now in terms of a monogamous relationship between two men or two women. He, that that wasn't even understood then. And so you see people trying to teach the Bible in a way that what God was really talking about, the two joined into one, is to be monogamous with each other, right? 
it's a twisting of scripture. It's a it's a false teaching of scripture, but they're using the fact that we have more knowledge now than they ever did. So this needs to change and we need to see that of which the Bible speaks of, right? Claiming to be wise, they became as fools. And and so it's something that we do see outside the walls, but it's also something that we're seeing creep in and I I just think we as a church but also we as individual Christians just have to be careful with that of of asking the question like, well, how callous am I becoming to sin in the world? You know, how callous am I becoming to certain things that maybe that maybe I, I shouldn't? Because I remember um, one of the big things when I was growing up, when I was younger, it was how stuffy Christians were. Like, that's what people would talk about. You're just so stuck up and stuffy. Like, you're saying, you won't say this word. That's not a curse word. It's like, well, yeah, I know, but my parents say I'm not allowed to say that, you know, whatever it might be. And there started to be this movement, I felt like, within church where it was like, no, we can do that because they'll see that we're normal. You know, that's not really a cuss word. or That's not really this bad. So we can do these things. You can go see a rated R movie, or you could go watch this, or you could laugh at this joke. It, it started to become normalized to where now a lot of those things are very normal for me to hear. Mm-hmm. Whereas a kid, I would have been like appalled if my parents would have known I said this, you know, or heard or heard this. And that's how the callousness starts to get in. I don't know if you guys got anything with with this section, that little section there about becoming uh, callous and and how do we how we guard from that as as believers? Because there is Christian liberty, right? We do live in a world of sin. You can't dodge it. Uh, you can't dodge it. I guess I was trying to think of another way to say it. But I thought, you can't. That, yeah, no, I thought in your sermon the way you examined and and talked about the fact that like we become callous towards sin, and especially relating to the issue of homosexuality, like you had referenced strongly because it was referenced in the in the text Romans 1 explicitly is that like what we just talked about that's very obvious what's happened over the last you know generation but very really come to fruition in the last decade is a complete callousness towards what used to be universally understood as sinful Mm-hmm. And it's not even that, like if you look at the broader culture now, there is a sense of where you were talking about greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's almost like a race yeah. that's happening now of who can go the furthest, the fastest, Yeah, you know, who can be the most radical, who can be the most extreme, who can be the most accepting. It's like a rat race of who can be the most inclusive. And that's the word that's that the they word, would yeah. use. They would say mm-hmm. inclusive. Um but that really is, like, when you consider the testimony of Scripture, rightly understood as it teaches about homosexuality and other sexual sin, it's not just homosexuality. Um, yeah, I would say what plagued churches, not to cut you off, but I mean, what plagued churches for a long time, even though homosexuality now has crept in, mm-hmm. was divorce. Mm-hmm. Like, And that was a sexual sin. A lot of it was, you know, they were... You, you just saw it rampant within churches of people getting divorced and instantly getting back together with somebody else and yep. remarried and yep. they weren't biblical reasons for it which are very tight restrictions honestly mm-hmm. on divorce in the yep. bible but it became just kind of the norm mm-hmm. where i remember when there was a stigma put on it for a long time in the church it was like oh my gosh they're getting divorced and it seemed yep. like death was happening mm-hmm. yeah to where now it's just it's just kind of normal it seems mm-hmm. like yeah. and and that's yeah. mm-hmm. not 
supposed to be the case. Yeah. So, but that, yes, you're exactly right. There's divorce, there's sex before marriage is now kind of expected. Yeah. You know, schools essentially. They promote it. If if they don't promote it, they provide resources to make it safer for them. How do you know you're compatible? I mean, that's what yeah. I, honestly, that's what they teach. Yeah. How do you know you're compatible if you haven't even, like, tried it? Yeah, the, and that's that kind of understanding has been long, even within churches. Mm-hmm. The understanding that, um, you know, if you ever meet anybody and, and talk to them, and, you know, if if you are engaged to be married to someone, but you're not living together yet, people look at you like you're strange. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you are, like you're making a huge mistake about this. I've, talked, there to, is, I've talked to, like, old... Uh, uh, youth group people that I had in youth group or different things and haven't seen them for a while. They've been out of church and it's just interesting where they'll talk to me like that. Like, well, how you doing? I'm pretty good. You know, I'm living with my girlfriend now. And I'm like, well, have you heard about so-and-so? Oh yeah, they're doing this and they're living with their fiance. And it's like, it's just like where I feel like five years ago when I was talking to them, they would have been embarrassed about that. Now it's just like, yeah, it's normal. Normal. Yeah. I think the way we, because, again, we can go back to the way we started this conversation. We can easily look at the world, but considering ourselves as Christians, you know, he's he's telling them that they must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And because of indwelling sin, there is constantly the temptation to go back to sin and yeah. to still be calloused towards sin. And I think that that's, that's very possible for us. And so it's just you had a great example, I think, of, you know, when a cuss word flat, you know, is, is said on – on a movie or TV mm-hmm. or whatever. And mm-hmm. that's, that's very true. And even I'm thinking of parents and even myself and, and Alicia that when it comes to what we allow our kids to watch, one of the questions that we try to be diligent about answering is if there is not explicit sin in the show or the movie or something like that, is there a general trend to desensitize our kids and even us to what is sinful does it make sin appear normal? Um, does it does it make divorce like for example? Does it make divorce appear normal um, in that sense? And we just try to keep track of that because it's all, it's one like the cal- building up a callousness. If you're not uh, if you're not proactively trying to uh, keep that from happening, it just happens over time. You know, mm-hmm. like the same way that a callus builds up on your finger. It will build up over time without you even noticing it. And so we just have to be proactive and, and careful. And that's one of the reasons we you pointed out towards the end of your sermon. It's one of the reasons why we need the church. Yeah. Because people right. will find people, other people can spot your where you are callous better than you can probably. Right. Yeah. One of the things Paul goes on to say after this little section when he says that we're different, he he has a weird way of going about it. And I know you guys, you two didn't like take time to study this, but he says, you learned Christ, which is odd. And I saw some different com- commentators and stuff trying to like go to the Greek to say, well, it really means this, but almost all of them said, no, it actually says you learned Christ. Like Paul says something new here. It doesn't say you learned about Christ or you learned who Christ was or you were taught in him. It was you learned Christ, and it really is like encapsulating this this idea that as as Christians, as people who've been saved by God's grace, we are completely wrapped up in in Jesus and who he is, and and so I can't remember who said it, but it was like how he's the school, he's the teacher, he's the curriculum, he's absolutely everything in there to say you are so different now. You know these these what I'm talking about these Gentiles they don't they're not learning Christ. Oh, they might know about him, 
but they're ignorant about him, right? They're darkened about him. That's not you. You are learned in Christ. You have learned Christ. And so you are you are different now. And this is what Sinclair Ferguson say, uh, who you are now, right? This is that's who you were before. And this is this is who you are right now in this instance. And so this is the case for somebody who's been saved for five minutes or somebody who's been saved for 50 years. You are learned in Christ. You you are wrapped up in Christ. You are his. But because of that, and this is where Paul's going, because of that, there's going to be something different. And the way that he words it is you need to put off that old self that we just talked about, and you need to put on your new self, which we'll talk more about in the week ahead of what that Paul goes on to say, the the new self, which we touched on. But there's this, uh, I'd like you guys to talk about maybe, um, and this has been hotly discussed for a long time within churches, but this, we talk about being saved by God's grace and justification, how there's, there's no work on our part. We can't say that we did anything in that, that God has done all of that work in us. But yet there is an action here that Paul's talking about that we are to take off, put off the old self and put on the new. There's some action on our part. So now we're justified, we're saved. Paul's talking to Christians. They're already Christians, but now he's giving them some action. How do we rightly talk about that, I guess? How do we rightly walk that line of knowing that God is the one who works in us through the Holy Spirit, enables us to do these things, but yet we are still responsible to take part in that process of sanctification, to take part in that obedience of moving forward. I hope that's clear of what I'm what I'm asking you guys to kind of discuss. Because there's some who would sit back and say, God does it all. I'm just sitting here absorbing his grace and he's gonna make me be kind of what I want it, what he wants me to be, I guess. You know? There's a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but then there's others who it seems like they're trying too hard almost. Like they feel it's all on them to grow. It's all on them to learn and serve and they don't they don't realize that God's grace is what they need all the time and how he is working. So how how do we balance that? How do we talk about that? Well, and we got to do it briefly. I know we're 20 something minutes in already. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, um, it's helpful to remember some of the older writers would say justification is an act of God's grace, but actually they would also say sanctification is the work of God's grace mm-hmm. in us. So um, when we're talking about sanctification, it's actually God's work as well um, uh, in us and to, to change us. So first of all, I think that should, um, I think sometimes the language when people, you might hear people say, well, in justification, that's all God's work. But in sanctification, we work with God. I don't think that's, I understand what people are meaning by that. But um, if you were to follow the older writers, they would say justification is God's act. Sanctification is God's work. Now, we are to repent, but we actually, I can't sanctify myself. I can't produce that. I can't change myself and do the work that God's grace requires of me. But repentance is something I am called to do, and actually God does work in us. Like, faith is his gift as well, where I trust in Christ, and repentance is God's work in me, and that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, Repentance is where I um, recognize sin as God calls it out, and I trust his grace, and I endeavor after new obedience um, um, in him. I think that's the hard balance, what you just said there, for a lot of people is 
where does my obedience come into play with also knowing that it's God who's working in me, it's God mm-hmm. who's growing me, because I want to obey, right. I want to grow, I want to be disciplined, right? I want to grow in my faith. I have this desire right. to do that. And it seems like there's a, a lot of things that Paul and other New Testament writers would tell me to do. Mm-hmm. And so there is an idea of me going and doing. I, I, I think you would agree with this, Spencer, that there would be a time you could look at a Christian and say, you need to pick yourself up and start doing some work. Yeah. The reason you're so far behind is you're not doing anything, right? So how do we balance, I guess, how do we how do we balance that well in our own lives of, of, of determining, am I just being too lazy in my faith or am I just in a, a process now where I am being faithful? You know, obviously we have sin still, but I, I really do think I am being faithful and I'm just not growing as fast as I'd like, I guess. Well, right, right. Well, I think, too, I think a couple of things. First of all, you can't equate repentance with good works. Repentance is something that happens mm-hmm. um, like faith does. Yeah. Now, good works flow from repentance, but repentance itself is not good works. That's why John the Baptist would say, bear good, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So sometimes one of the confusions that happens is, is people equate repentance with automatically the good works that are the fruit of repentance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if their good works are not what they think they should be, they don't feel like they've actually repented. When in fact, oftentimes they're really repenting. They're just not able to, they're, they're like all of us, they fall short in this Christian life. Also, I think repentance itself, evangelical repentance. So there's two different kinds of repentance. There's the one kind that you can have where you, they, they, um, where you might have somebody who's just um, <clears throat> afraid of the God's judgment. They're not really trusting in Christ yet, but they're thinking, but I'll try harder to be a better person. That's not gospel repentance. That's what we would call legal repentance, mm-hmm. where somebody is trying to buy their way back into God's good graces. Mm-hmm. Evangelical repentance is on the other side, which comes after faith, which is the only kind that is actually pleasing in God's sight, where we say, I'm not trusting my standing or anything that I do to buy God's love, but I want, because God has been so good to me, I want to honor him out of gratitude for grace received. So a lot of this, I think, is just, <clears throat> you have to remind yourself of the gospel because you can do the same good things for different motives, one for trying to please God, or you can do the same external thing because of gratitude for what God's done. So I don't know that there's necessarily an easy answer to it other than remember the gospel and also remember that if you love, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and you'll want to, and you'll try to do them. Um, We are still required. Jesus calls us to obey him, but also all throughout that and the great mystery of it to understand that even when we do those things, um, it's ultimately his power in mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So don't get yeah. a big head. Yeah. No, I I think, you know, your your question, Tim, of like the balance between these two things is because, well, I mean, like even as we're recording this on Monday, last night, one of the things that I tried to bring out from Second Kings 22 and 23 with Josiah is that repentance is about a person's heart, God working in their heart, um, to where when they hear the word, they do respond favorably to it and obedience to it and the the difficult thing i i mean i guess i would say this that if a christian if i heard a christian say well i just can't stop that sin because god has not made me to where i stop it yet 
I don't think a Christian can say that. <laughs> you know, we are not given the freedom to say that. Blaming God for your sin. Yes, and <laughs> that view of repentance is not a biblical view of repentance, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but then the question is, but, you know, isn't it God who's supposed to work in me to change me, you know, to where I am? I was like, well, yes, he is. But a Christian should not be afraid of using means Mm-hmm. to do that, whether that be accountability or making other changes in their life to pursue godliness. It's the same as in evangelism, where it's like we believe that it is God ultimately that works in a person's heart grant, you know, and opens their eyes to see, softens their heart to where they hear and they respond in faith. And, um, but means are used to accomplish that. God uses the means of evangelism, of preaching, of all these things that we do yeah. to accomplish that goal. Repentance is the same, and putting on good's work, putting on the new self is the same. Christians should not be discouraged from using means to pursue holiness. I mean, their mindset with that is really important because, like you said, Spencer, if they're doing that thinking that they are pleasing God and adding to their salvation— Well, you've got the wrong mindset about that. That's not why we do this. We do this, yes, out of gratitude towards God, but also because, as Paul would say, he's straining towards a goal. He's looking to the future Mm -hmm. and what he's supposed to be and the promise that we have of of what we one day will be. And so it's not just even a gratitude towards God. It's a looking forward into the future of this is what I want to be. Um, And so I just, that's hard, what you said. It is hard, but... You know, we're not afraid of means. God uses, you know, those means to to sanctify us in that. Yeah, I think there's just been a, a lot of confusion amongst uh, Baptists and people people who really hold to the perseverance of the saints, people who would say once saved, always saved type of things, where the, the, way, the reason I say there's some confusion is because you'll see somebody, you know, you'll talk to them, and it, it's a hard conversation maybe, but. They're like, well, my my child, I know they, I know they're Christian because at BBS they they came to know the Lord and they were saved. It's like, well, where are they now? Well, they haven't been to church in thirty years, and they're kind of living a wild life. But yeah. I know that the Lord loves them because He saved them back then. And it, and it's hard because you got to go to passages like you quoted with Paul. It's like, but there's a perseverance aspect where we persevere in these things by the power of the Holy Spirit yeah. to do this, and so. There's this correlation in Scripture always of perseverance of with real, true faith. Mm-hmm. But then some people want to jump on the bandwagon of, I hold my faith. I hold that then, mm-hmm. right, where I can lose it. Yeah. Well, and the Bible you, doesn't teach that yeah, either. If, if you want to read something that will make you kind of uncomfortable and it will really make you sort through these things is to read Hebrews, mm-hmm. where there are so many warnings against falling prey to sin you know, like I'm studying yeah. through that right uh-huh. now. He says uh-huh. in chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You know, it's like that opens a whole can of worms of like, well, mm-hmm. how can a saved person who, you know, once God has you, he will not let you go. Then why are there these warnings mm-hmm. that we need to take heed of? And why are there prescriptions for actively pursuing godliness, for actively resisting sin? And that it can harden our hearts, so yeah. we could go on and on and on. Yeah, there's a lot, lot to do with that. Well, next week we're going to talk more about putting on the new self, which Paul tells us uh, to do there in verses 23 and 24. But we'll be finishing up chapter four together. So hopefully you'll read ahead, see what that has to say. Hopefully we see you on Sunday here at the church. 
I hope you have a, a blessed week.